Hello, I am seminarian Matthew Laney. I am the student body president of our seminary. Uh, if there are any guys here who would be interested in the pastoral ministry, uh, this Sunday, March 19th, we are having a seminary open house. It's starting at 5.30 and going until 7. Uh, at the start of uh, the event, we will be having a supper uh, where we will be serving a ch uh, Chinese food. And then following that, we will have a presentation from Pastor Berns Twite on the Urban Shepherd. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, make sure to mark your calendars for this Sunday at 5.30. And we are located uh, down the road from Gullickson Hall, uh, across from the softball field, and we hope that we will see you there.
comes from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 33. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. You may be seated for our next two verses. When I was in high school at my local church, one day about 10 minutes before the end of the church service, suddenly a man collapsed right on the aisle, out into the aisle. And it was very obvious that he was in uh, physical distress. The pastor who was up at the altar for a prayer noticed this and came rushing down the aisle and knelt down by him and immediately began speaking to this man the beautiful words of Psalm 23. Someone in the back rushed out and, and called an ambulance, and within minutes, paramedics came, and uh, it was a very strange scene. Obviously, the church service kind of was interrupted at the end, and uh, they took care of this man, and he ended up passing away just a couple months later. When something happens in the middle of a reverent church service, in the middle of a worship setting, uh, there's, there's something different about it. It, it has a, a different uh, effect on us because it's so out of place from what we're expecting. can imagine what it was like that day in the synagogue in the text that I just read when this, this uh, man possessed by a demon 
uh, suddenly has this interaction with Christ and he's thrown down on the floor. And the response that you can imagine from the people observing this and watching this, how strange this must have seemed. This takes place in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was only about a half hour away from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And it, it appears to be Jesus' northern uh, ministry headquarters, you might say. A lot, of the, a lot of the stories seem to happen around Capernaum. And uh, it was near a political border. And because of that, it also had some major roads that ran through it. The, the Romans had a, a strong presence here in order to collect a lot of customs and taxes and things. It was also the hometown of Peter and Andrew. And it was right along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And this is the first miracle then that uh, is recorded for us in the Gospel of St. Luke. Now Luke himself is a doctor and he knows the distinction between something that is merely a physical ailment and problem for someone and something that is demonic, as we have in front of us here. It's interesting to note in this text how the demons are well aware of who Christ is. They're very also, also very well aware of what his mission is, what his purpose is for coming to earth. And they're very aware of his tremendous power over them. And because of that, there's this tremendous sense of animosity toward Christ. It's interesting, too, that um, this demon now confesses the truth about Christ. He calls him the Holy One of God. And he, he speaks about Christ coming into this world to, to uh, uh, go after them and the things of the evil kingdom that he represents. Our Lord does not want to hear confession of himself, even as accurate as it is, from the lips of someone representing hell. And so he does love to hear the confession of his name on your lips, the believers in him who trust in him and love him and know him as Savior, uh, those who are the children of light, the saints of light. He loves that confession, but he does not want to hear his name confessed here by such an evil entity. First year that I came to Bethany, maybe the second year, there was a student, a freshman, that came to me and asked to meet with me about demon possession. And she had a notebook in front of her with about 12 questions she wanted to go through. And we slowly worked our way through that. And it really was helpful for me, too. She had some very interesting questions. But she said that all her life she had been so troubled and, and bothered by uh, the thought of demon possession and how scary a thing this, this seemed to be. It's interesting that the demon visitor here in the text that I read, the demon is inside of this man and controls him in his voice, but I want you to notice that Jesus addresses the demon and not the man. He addresses this evil entity that is occupying him, almost like someone living in a, in a house. And he's not speaking to the house, if you will, the man. He's speaking to the demon who is inside of this man. And for some reason, God has permitted uh, this demon to control this man's body, even his tongue. And uh, a lot of it is against his will, now throwing him down on the floor in the middle of everyone. Although it's, it's noted for us that in coming out of the man, he's not allowed to hurt this man. But it's interesting, from Jesus' perspective, the man himself is not being held at all responsible 
for what's taking place here. In fact, Jesus treats him as he does so many who are possessed in, in the scriptures, treats him as, as someone who has, had, um, has been violated by someone and taken advantage of by someone else. And there's a lesson here that when these cases occur, it's possible for someone who's even a believer to be physically possessed, even though their soul is not possessed at all. And elsewhere in Scripture, we see examples of this as well. Now, despite how it might look on the surface, uh, demon possession is different from insanity or different from someone having an epileptic seizure, for instance. The, the inspired writers of the gospel who record these events for us clearly make a distinction between all of these things. Mark tells us in his gospel about the same event that Jesus' own relatives were thinking this man might be out of his mind, but that they were incorrect in that conclusion. And so exorcisms, in other words, removing a satanic demon from someone, exorcisms are always written about and treated differently in the Bible than you will find healings, for instance, of someone who's blind or something like that. And in a few cases in the Bible, they're even listed right alongside of a healing, so you can kind of see the distinction between the two. So God here demonstrates that he always enforces a limit on how far Satan's domain can go. My dad used to use the, the image of a dog on a, on a strong leash that could only, a, a, a strong metal chain that could only go so far out into the yard, and you could see in the grass how far it could go. That, think of that, 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 that God puts a limit and a control on how far he will let uh, the demonic world have any influence. And Christ here now exercises his tremendous power over this. And how does he do it? Think of all, think of all, the, think of all the elements in Jesus' arsenal that he could use to, to make this stop. What does he do? He talks. He just speaks his word. That just shows us the, the juxtaposition of the power, the supremacy of the Son of God in this situation to just talk, to just take his word and immediately stop what's going on inside of this man and call out this, call out this demon from inside of him. So make sure you understand this is not a fair fight. This is not a fair confrontation that we see in our text. Now, one of the questions that young lady had for me that day was, is it possible for this to happen today? It's interesting that all of the incidents that are recorded for us in the Bible about this, uh, where there's a, an exorcism by Christ, all of them take place very early in his ministry. It's almost like the devil was trying as hard as he could right away to see if he could get Jesus off of his game and his mission. They all take place up in the northern region of Galilee as, as well. One commentator said, Satan recognized in Christ someone who could deprive him of his power, and he's making a desperate effort to keep it. And so the examples we have are always with Christ and his apostles in, in, the, uh, um, in, in this portion and in this part of the world. But we must say there is nothing in the Bible that would tell us this couldn't happen today. Now that might cause us to be a little bit afraid. But that's not to be the case at all from Scripture. God does not ever instruct Christians to be in fear of being physically possessed by a demon. 
his attention to us, his direction for our attention is always to be focused on the spiritual temptations that the devil can put before us to get us away from our faith and our love and appreciation for our Savior who's come into this world to give us life in heaven. And through word and sacrament, and through our prayer life and our worship life, we're able to stay outside of that circle of influence where the devil might harm us in the spiritual realm. And scripture always shows us how little it takes for Christ and even, even the preaching of his word and everything to unravel the work of the devil. Notice here again how Jesus just controls the situation entirely with just a few words. Be quiet, come out, he says. The same word that he used to create the world, let there be light, the same word that he used to raise Lazarus back to light from the dead and call him forth back to life, that's the same powerful word that he puts in front of you in the Holy Scriptures and that we use in our regular worship life and so on. God has placed a power in that word that is beyond anything the devil can ever come up with. Jesus himself is the word made flesh. If you have Christ with you, you have no need to fear any type of demon at all. He has power and supremacy over all of this evil part of the world. And so being the word made flesh means that the very word itself that he now gives to you in your spiritual life likewise has that same power over the devil and anything that he might store up. My brother had an incident when his, during his vicar year as a pastor where um, he, uh, he had a family that thought their house might be possessed. And they were new, they were taking instruction. And he told them, he brought along a meditation book and he said, read a family devotion every night in this house and you will not have any more problems with this. And a couple of weeks later, they told him they never had any issue with it again. The word that Christ gives us has such tremendous power. Neither angels nor demons will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we find our comfort and security in that. Amen. Please rise for prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you've kept me this night from all harm and danger. I pray you to protect me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen.
peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Go in his peace. Amen.